Welcome to Slumber Party Cinema Club, a podcast for the movies that you've seen a thousand times and the silly and serious conversations they start. My name is Katie. Hopefully you didn't forget who I am. Ah, yeah, Katie's been out for a while. And I'm Kate. I'm back. Hello. Hello. Yeah, I was um, gone last episode, but I did listen to it and Bridget did a fantastic job. I hope everyone enjoyed the the sister hosting. Didn't she? I thought she was just wonderful. It was great to sing and reminiscing about how Freaky Friday was such an important movie uh, to me and how Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen was an important movie to her. And they were only a year apart, but they feel like, a you know, we're five years apart, right, in age. So they they feel like they, they bridged that gap really, really well. Yeah, and I never really understood what confessions of a teenage drama queen was about for some reason i always thought it was about this like high strung theater girl a little bit that kind of actually is it's okay but that movie is wild is yeah because she is a high strung theater girl but there's like so much more going on around it 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 sounded it sounded wild but it it did intrigue me perhaps i'll go and watch it soon ish <laughs> we'll see um I have, before we talk about our movie today, which is both silly and serious, um, I have a little bit of a gripe to gripe. Okay. And I wanted to gripe about this on the podcast because it felt apropos for you and I and our audience. This isn't a gripe about you, by the way. Oh, good. (laughs) Keep keep my sister's name out of your mouth. (laughs) No, 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 no. This is not, this is not a gripe about you or Bridget. You both are fantastic. Um, No. So this is a gripe about uh, something I've seen on the internet recently that is just fucking bothering me. I noticed a TikToker, and I don't want to say the TikToker's name. So we'll refer to this TikToker as Ashley Bashley which is not close to her name at all. Um, So Ashley Bashley, I've seen uh, post a lot of videos on this TikTok trend uh, known as the pick me girl. Have you heard of this? Oh, yeah. Um, So for those of you who don't know, and just to make sure I'm understanding and Kate, you can correct me if I'm wrong. um, Pick me girls are like girls who essentially pretend or genuinely like have traditionally male interests like sports, meat eating, roughhousing, naughty jokes, or not naughty jokes, but you know, like raunchy jokes, etc. And sort of eschew anything that's traditionally girly, like the color pink and makeup and rom-coms and you know, yada, 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 yada. And the end goal being that they receive male approval and that they are seen as one of the boys Mm -hmm. yeah it's pretty much someone who's seeking like male validation by just complete it's the not like other girls concept exactly exactly and they you know they constantly are like oh i only hang out with like guys because they're so much like easier and less dramatic than girls yes you know that kind of bullshit um which is fine. I think I think the 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 caveat is that it's someone who their entire personality revolves around being a not like other girls girl. Yes, exactly. But so also here- I do want to actually add there is a subgroup to the pick me that is really important to mention, and that's the trad wife. She is also a pick me. Trad? T-A-R-D. Oh, yeah, like traditional. Oh, God, I feel like I'm like in with the Gen Zers. Um, yeah, so the trad wife trend is also happening on TikTok. And it's also like, listen, if that's what you want in your life, cool. Just don't tell us that it's the only way to live or the right way to live is this concept of I want to marry a man who works full time and I will keep house for him and be at his beck and call. And like, that's how I, I make my living through having a husband who takes care of me rather than um, you know, where, where we are in our lives, Katie, which is we have our yeah. own careers. We have in your case, a loving partner who, you know, also <laughs> works and, right. you know, and doesn't expect you to give up your job so you can keep house for them. Um, you know, and so that's the, that's another version of the pick me. It's not just the, not like other girls. It's also the, 
I, well, in, in a lot of ways, not like other girls on the opposite side where I'm very feminine and I need to be taken care of and I want to mm-hmm. live softly and be taken, you know, taken under your wing and you can work and I'm going to stay at home and just be whatever you need me to be. Okay. Well, here's my gripe about the, uh, the pick me girl. Girl, I thought we were already griping. <laughs> I, I, I have like a the deeper definition gripe. of it is a gripe. <laughs> I know I have, I have a deeper gripe. Um, so, and going back to this TikToker Ashley Bashley. So she makes these videos about like, it's like the POV, uh, the pick me girl finds out you're going to see the Barbie movie or POV. The pick me girl finds out that you want to get pumpkin spice lattes this weekend and pretty much the plot of the videos are always like pick me girl or you know girly girl says she wants something like i want to go see the barbie movie pick me girl is like oh you're going to see the barbie movie how lame isn't that lame guy friend and then guy friend chimes in with like oh no that's so cool like i saw the barbie movie last week it was awesome you know essentially Mm -hmm. invalidating the pick me girl And she does some other videos that are like, oh, when the pick me girl and the girl who was actually friends with the guys meet. And anyways, the thing that was bothering me about it is I almost feel like Ashley Bashley was somehow also making herself a pick me girl by bashing the pick me girl too much. The way her her videos were coming off is like, I'm better than a pick me girl because, you know, I'm not a pick me girl, but in a circular way, she was making herself into a pick me girl. Oh yeah. Don't pick her. Don't pick the pick me girl. Pick me. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. It makes total sense. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, like, I think that the, in, cause like I did open this up by pretty much being like, oh my God, pick me's are the worst. Um, <laughs> they are when they are people that in the effort to attract men, decide to say things like women are just not as physically strong as men, which is true in a lot of cases, trust me. But like, you know, women don't have the capacity to do that, you know, and they're the ones that espout, you know, Andrew Tate lines to attract Mm -hmm. men. That's what I always see as a pick me girl. What I think the, the definition we sort of started off with and the definition that Ashley Bashley is using is more the cool girl. And you and I just saw Tovlo or Tuve Lu, however you'd like to pronounce her name, uh-huh. uh, live ever at Salt Shed. And she does a song called Cool Girl that is essentially that, right? It's the, oh, I don't need labels. It's fine. I'm just carefree. I don't care. It's You can walk all over me in the name of you just being in my life. And I'm a cool girl. And mm-hmm. we've talked about it on this podcast before, the Gone Girl monologue around a cool girl, the one that mm-hmm. laughs at not funny jokes and the one who gives head but never expects it back and Mm -hmm. like that's that's the cool girl and I think that that's I think in some ways a pick me but also I think it's its own thing yeah I yeah I think it's they're sort of in the same family uh just like different sort of species or something Mm -hmm. but yeah it was just bothering me because and and I looked deeper into this and I was like, oh, Ashley Bashley is like 21, 22 years old. So she, maybe she doesn't quite get it yet. But I was like, I am not cool with making fun of girls in any capacity. Like if you think I like, yes, it is incredibly lame to be like, I'm not like other girls because I'm less dramatic and I'm not this and I'm not that. And I like this and I like that. But don't make fun of girls is is my <laughs> is my lesson and my message out to you, dear podcast listener. You know, extend friendship and understanding and realize that may, like maybe not everyone has reached the point of enlightenment and self-security that you have reached yet. Well, yeah. And we've discussed that in, you know, I've had that conversation with friends about Barbie, right? The idea that Barbie's monologue, the key monologue in that movie delivered by America Ferreira, which we've discussed on the pod too, um, is really strong, but it also reeks of just like heavy handedness. Mm -hmm. But it reeks of that to people like us who read feminist theory and are very aware of, of feminism around us and continue to look for resources to expand that knowledge. Whereas the majority of people who went to go see the cute pink movie with beautiful Margot Robbie and beautiful Ryan Gosling and it looks like a funny movie, 
we're pro- are probably not at that same level. So understanding that not everything is made targeting you. And yeah. that sometimes things are made, you know, and in this case, I think Ashley Bashley is talking to her generation and she's talking through her experience. And as a recovering cool girl myself, <laughs> I kind of appreciate that because I could have used someone to call me out on some of my cool girl bullshit in my early 20s. I could vibe with that. But it's also everything is so public, right? Like if you have a thought, you have to put it out into the world. Hey, eh, we have a podcast. But yeah, the the idea of making a video, I don't know. I, I see so many things on my Instagram reels because I'm not young. I'm young enough to know about pick me's and trad wives, but I'm not young enough to want to be on TikTok. And so I use Instagram reels and that's how I get all the TikToks three weeks after they've been viral. And mm-hmm. I notice like videos where I'm like, you, how long did it take you to make that? And how little do I care? <laughs> I, you know, here's my confession. I said I saw this on TikTok. I actually saw it on YouTube shorts, but oh, it okay. probably is also on TikTok. Did you use that on your desktop <laughs> computer? I sure did. Here I am making fun of a girl. Oh, there we go. <laughs> is it me? Am I the girl that you're making fun of? I'm making fun of you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's fine. Um, all right. So gripe time over. Let's talk no, about today's movie. I think that actually sets us up pretty well for our our upcoming movie that we're going to talk about because we're talking about a movie and I I didn't have to rewatch it. I just had to think about it. Mm-hmm. I have watched this movie so many times because it's one of my favorites. Um one of my favorite rom-coms and I'm I'm dismayed at the fact I don't think I mentioned it during our rom-com palooza uh, at the beginning of the year. But we're going to be talking about the uh, 2002 film, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, uh, which was a, at the time, a very small, unassuming, not big budget kind of movie that ended up going all the way to being one of the biggest earners of the year and was also nominated for an Oscar for screenplay. Um, It's got Nia Vardalos. She wrote it. Uh, In fact, it's based off of her experience marrying um, outside of her Greek, uh, uh, outside of her Greek culture. Um, It's she wrote it and uh, and it's also directed by um, Joel Zwick, who is not known so much for movies as much as he's known for TV. So he was a major director on the Disney Channel. Um, he did a lot of stuff in my sister's era, which is like the Sweet Life on Deck and Good Luck Charlie, just around the time she was leaving that um, that stage of her life. He also directed the Fat Albert movie that came out in 2004. Um, but he, <laughs> at the time that this movie came out, he had done like some Full House episodes and stuff, but he wasn't a really big director. So that gives you a sense that this movie was not a, a big expectation for a lot of people. But um, I, when we talk about the first time we saw it, I'll tell you, we saw it in a movie theater because my parents had seen something about it. I think it was the fact that Tom Hanks is attached to it because it's his production company um, that made mm-hmm. it. But uh, they they decided that it looked very funny and that we should go see it. And it was rated PG, which meant that they were comfortable taking me to see it when I was you know, 11 or so. Yeah, I was trying to think of when I saw this movie first. And I don't think it was in theater. I think it was definitely like video rental Um And I probably just saw it because either someone else wanted to watch it or I just heard so much about it and we ended up watching it. I do remember, and I think I told you this story before, I watched this movie, loved it, became a favorite, and I kept recommending it to my grandparents. And they didn't trust me at first because they knew that their granddaughter had different tastes than they had. So they weren't really sure of my recommendation. However, I pride myself on recommending, you know, movies, music, books, et cetera, to people that I genuinely think they they would like and enjoy. So finally, they watched the movie, I think after a year of me like hounding them and freaking loved it. Like it became one of their favorite movies. My granny loved quoting it all the time. Like her favorite quote was from the one aunt that talks about her bibopsy. Um, <laughs> and she always my, loved my, my bibopsy. <laughs> The, bu- the bubopsy. She always loved when I would do the bit. So really it was me quoting it at her. And But yeah, they freaking loved it. And I always enjoy that Yeah, my grandparents and I 
could enjoy that together because there wasn't a lot of media that really connected us. And that's a really good point to make because you're right. Um, at the time, if you think 2002, the romantic comedies were all swaying towards the rated R side. They were getting a little bit raunchier and everything. And <laughs> you want to talk about the pick me's. Um, Gen Z <laughs> would be scandalized by some of them. Um, things like American Pie were really big, you know. Yeah. I don't know if I want to call that a romantic comedy, but those were the comedies that were making it big. Um, my big fat Greek wedding came out and I, on IMDb, someone claims that it's the highest grossing romantic comedy film of all time. I'm not so sure that's true anymore. Yeah. But at the time it was, it was a huge deal how much money this movie was pulling in. And I love the story. So, I mean, so Nia Vardalos, uh, she's actually an alumna of Second City here in Chicago. Um, that's why the, the movie seems to take place in Chicago, but the majority of it is not filmed in Chicago. And you can tell because the streetlights are hung on um, cables over the streets. Uh, my dad pointed that out the first time he saw the movie very loudly. He said, that's not Chicago. <laughs> I think like uptown. So <laughs> I think it's between it's between like Chicago and the suburbs, isn't it? It's something maybe- you know. I like to think that yeah, it's probably like the houses that they have. It looks a little like Norwich, but yeah, it looks like a near suburb of Chicago where it's happening. Um, although I really what we should have done was have my freshman year roommate from undergrad come on the show because when I found out when I met her the first time, she lived in the suburbs the same way I did. And we were both, we found out we were each other's roommates down at University of Missouri. So we ended up trying to meet up. We met up at like a shopping mall that was a halfway point for us. And she explained that she was Greek. And I struggled because I was like, should I mention that my one of my favorite movies of all time is My Big Fat Greek Wedding? Or is that offensive? Like, is that movie good? Like, did they do it right? Like, I wasn't so sure. <laughs> so I did eventually ask her, I was like, how do you feel about the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? And she was like, oh my God, it is so real. It is so accurate to everything. Um, And so I I give them credit on that too, because it helped me understand a little bit more about her family dynamic. I see that it was, according to the filming locations on IMDb, it was primarily filmed between Chicago and Canada. Yeah, and uh, and Toronto is from Winnipeg. She's, She's Canadian. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. You know what? It's it's funny though because like I think I recognized that it took place in Chicago. Like after I moved to Chicago, I never really paid attention to that prior. Yeah, you can tell because she goes to one of our city colleges, mm-hmm. and and she's on the campus and stuff. But yeah, so so to before we get too much further, so the storyline. If you haven't seen this movie before, Nia Vardalos plays. Uh, Tula, who is the le- like last remaining unmarried daughter in her very large Greek family, and sort of just has this feeling that her life, she's always going to be working at her parents' diner, that there's not much out there for her. She's kind of frumpy. She doesn't really go in on, on beauty or anything at the beginning. And she ends up deciding to turn, pretty much go for a different career and start presenting herself a little bit differently. Um, when she realizes that her life is starting to pass her by and she wants her life to be different. And it all sort of catalyzes from the beginning when a man walks into the Greek restaurant where she's a waitress um, named Ian Miller, played by John Corbett, who people know as Aiden from Sex and the City. Um, he comes into the diner. She sort of develops this crush on him immediately. And then it just so happens after she's gone through this transformation, after she's taken computer classes, which you had to do back then, and now she's working at a travel agency that her aunt owns, uh, they meet up again because he's just passing by. And it sparks this romance that eventually ends up in them getting married. But just the plan, that's just the beginning. The most of the movie is around the drama of planning their wedding. Which is always a dramatic thing, event. As I'm sure you know, Katie, as you're in the middle of doing it yourself. Yeah, learning. I feel like mine is is relatively uh, drama-free, but I did used to work in the industry and I've seen some shit and I've heard about some shit. So a couple things I want to mention about the movie, kind of like the beginning of the movie is one, I think... Maybe one of the reasons why it gets overlooked as like a romantic comedy is because it's about so much more than the romance. Like it is really about a woman finding herself 
And then she also happens to fall in love at the same time. And also, you know, her, her transformation, quote unquote, sort of takes place before she, well, like she meets Ian and she sees him as this cute guy in the diner, like this one time. And that's sort of it. But like her, her sort of transformation and her self-confidence and her path sort of blossoms before she meets and starts dating him, which Mm -hmm. I love the messaging there because, you know, in a romantic story, the point isn't like she became a beautiful woman because this man loved her. Like she was a beautiful woman. And like, there is even a line in it where she mentions, like she says, like, I was going through a phase. I was frump girl. And he's like, well, I don't remember Frump Girl, but I remember you. I was, I'm so glad you brought that line up. That line makes the whole, like saves the whole movie for me. Because you're right. We, how many times, I mean, how many times do we see rom-coms where it hinges on a makeover, primarily Mm -hmm. on the woman to make her more attractive because she's doing it to get a guy's attention. Tula never does that. She sees him and is like, okay, well, he's cute. You know, like we all do. And. You know, Aiden at that time is cute. He's cute now too. But, um, you know, so she sees him and she's like, oh, he's cute. But that's not the reason she decides to turn her life around. She decides to turn her life around because she overhears her parents talking about how they're worried she's never going to blossom into her own person. Yeah. And she's already, you know, thinking about like planning this, you know, trying to convince her father to let her take computer classes and, you know, all this stuff. Before, you know, before she meets him and it's not even like they meet and she necessarily thinks anything of it. Like, oh, I'm going to try to date this guy. And like the other thing, too, is her like silly personality still shines through like what she feels is her front period. And I even feel like maybe it's less that, you know, she wasn't into like makeup or fashion or this or that but like you know I we all go through a front period I'm sure at one point or another where it's like you're just depressed and you don't feel like taking care of yourself and you don't feel the value in yourself to dress how you want to dress or look how you want to look or put makeup on or do your hair or do this and that you know and I think Mm -hmm. that's just what she was going through yeah exactly and then it's after she you know, starts to find her own self and and accept her new self too, right? That's a whole journey as well. That's when the romance enters the picture. And I think that, that that's, you know, we continue that part of the discussion all night long if we want to, but like, that's truly what makes this separates this from the typical, like, I saw a cute guy at the diner and I want to impress him next time he comes in. Because Ian never comes back to the diner after that until the, like, the big party where it's okay, I make lamb. Um, yeah. you know, and we'll get to that too, because I really want to talk about Andrea Martin in this movie. Um, <laughs> but you know, so, and, and not just Tula accepting herself, but her family accepting Tula. A lot of this gets hinged on, on the fact that her family is not warm to the idea of her marrying outside of the Greek community, mm-hmm. but they also have to get to accept their daughter as well. And a lot of the drama hinges off the idea that they haven't, they don't really know Tula apart from the utility that she had been before she becomes her own. Yeah. And there's maybe like a little bit in here that I don't think you or I could necessarily speak to, but just like a kid of immigrant parents mm-hmm. and you're trying to keep a hold of your original culture, but you're also trying to be American. I like, cause there's like a couple scenes where it like flashes back and it shows her like not fitting in with like other girls and other kids because of her Greekness. She wasn't necessarily allowed to do like she, instead of doing Girl Scouts, she says she goes to Greek school mm-hmm. because, and which is, you know, obviously important to her parents because even though they're living in America, they're raising an American child, they still want their child to be connected to their Greek culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of pride, right? I mean, at one point, her father, Gus, says that there are two kinds of people, Greeks and everyone else who wished they were Greek. Yeah. <laughs> and so there is, I, I, 
And sometimes like you get the sense from the performances of the family that they're all very comfortable with themselves. I think there's mm -hmm. a little bit extra in there too, though, that there's a bravado that they've carried with them this entire time of we're Greek, we're above things. Like this is our community. We stay within our community community because others are not the same as us. And then when Ian comes in and he is a very accepting person and he tries his hardest and some of the things that they get him to do in in the name of fitting in are great he keeps going to like Tula's brother Nick and her cousin played by Joey Fatone from NSYNC um yeah. they keep telling him he keeps asking like how do I say this in Greek and they tell him the absolute wrong thing to say it's I I think that's so funny because it's like really them giving him so much shit and teasing him like probably shows more affection and acceptance mm -hmm. than if they were just like very seriously like oh you just say this or oh it doesn't matter like mm -hmm. you're you're white in America and you can't you can't speak Greek anyways yeah um, exactly they don't write him off like they get the sense that he's here to stay so we better make the best of it I don't think that anything that Nick or Angelo do are to push him away. You're right. It's done. Those two, at least, are, seem like a very spirited group to, who are trying, you know, taking advantage of the situation for some laughs, but never in a malicious way. Nothing about the plot is trying to, like, keep them apart or break them up. Like, it's all about, like, finding the path toward love and acceptance. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like even when he tells, you know, when it's Greek Easter uh, and the family's having a party, um, there's that like bit where he says that, you know, where Tula actually breaks it to the family that Ian is a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. And my, oh, we say this all the time in my family, Aunt Tula who, or um, Aunt Vula, who is played by Andrea Martin, who's one of my favorites. Uh, <laughs> you know, she's, you don't eat no meat. It's okay. I make lamb. <laughs> <laughs> lamb lamb's not meat lamb it's not meat. meat it's okay i make lamb and what's beautiful is that there's no argument back at that like he is just like that's fine <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> yeah i also love that part where like they're talking about that and she says something about well i'm the best cook in the family i'm sure she's told you and john corbett is like ian's like oh yeah twice mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. gets it right away like mm -hmm. no that's that's one of my my that's one of the very quotable parts of the movie is what do you mean he eat no meat it's okay i make them so did you know that the friend of ian's that he's with at the diner and that also is his sort of unofficial best man at the wedding is actually well was nia verdalos's real life husband mm -hmm. yeah ian gomez right yeah um mm -hmm. They, yeah, they were married until recently, like 2018. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember reading because they did some some work uh, or some stories about uh, their their trials of getting pregnant and they ended up adopting, mm -hmm. um, which is also really interesting if you consider the ending of the movie is a flash forward to when um, uh, Ian and Tula have a daughter of their own because Tula's whole thing is that she's trying to pull herself as far away from her Greek heritage as possible. And she says mm -hmm. at one point that, you know, like, um, you know, she never got to go to Girl Scouts and and she always took weird food to school for lunches. And there's some very sad and funny flashbacks to that. So um, when they have a, when they do have a kid, they're still taking their daughter to Greek school. But I love that Rula pro or Tula promises her that no matter what, she can marry anybody she wants. Yep. <laughs> and I think I think part of the new movie that's coming out soon or is already out is the sort of romantic subplot in that movie is with their daughter. Mm -hmm. But don't which made me wonder, did you end up watching did you ever watch the sequels or anything? Sure didn't. Uh they did not seem good. <laughs> I got to agree. I, well, I, I want to say first came the show. They took a stab at a sitcom, which mm -hmm. My Big did Fat not, Life, right? Yes, which did not have John Corbett in it. I did not watch that. But then I think after that maybe w went on for like half a season. I don't know. Uh, there was My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2, which I honestly have no idea what it's about. And 
it never seemed great. And I want to say that was a like straight to DVD sequel. And then I was actually just before we started recording, watching the trailer for My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3, which is everyone sort of taking a family trip to go to a family reunion that's in Greece. It looks fairly cute. It's most of like the the favorite sort of characters. It looks like from the original movie, most of the original cast members that, you know, are still around. Yeah, because um, I was going to say, uh, Michael, Const- uh, Michael Constantine passed in 2021. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that will probably be a plot point in the, the third movie around, you know, her father's no longer there and her father let's go back to the original because like i just want to talk about her dad there are other so many other quotes that uh he has like when he's describing ian and his family as as dry toast no honey no hummus nothing (laughs) they're just pieces of dry toast um he's not wrong he's not wrong he's not wrong there was very like the whole scene where tula goes to meet ian's family his parents because he's an only child and it's just them sitting very quietly at dinner yeah i i like as a white person i totally understand the fact that white people really don't have any culture and we're very boring but man wasps especially and i i'm sorry like and i like i always think of wasps i always think of i'll say yankees because i'm Mm. a southern person Okay. Um, I, I always feel like Yankees especially have no like culture or tradition or anything like that. Like, I mean, you know, Southerners, we've got our problems and our bullshit, but <laughs> I feel like there's something there. I don't know. Maybe this is a controversial opinion, but yes. <laughs> well, you know, I did make the comment one time in one of my equity and inclusion classes when we're doing deep dives on deep culture and I was like white culture white people have no culture and my teachers completely corrected me on that uh we do have a culture and it's usually destruction and stealing other people's things but um (laughs) yeah as far as Yankees go you're right I mean a lot of it is regional right there's Pennsylvania Dutch there's the wasps of the Hamptons which is a culture unto itself whether you like it or not Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the Chicago working class culture, right? But you're right. The True. John's family, like Ian's family is so, I think they go to a bit of an extreme describing that that situation to mm-hmm. make Tula's seem even more out of, like just even more vibrant, right? Um, they tone the filter down a little bit on that wasp family so that they, the Greek family filter is even brighter and bolder, speaking in Instagram terms, right? So I still like the fact that even even his parents, they're like completely fish out of water and they try, but they're, they're eventually towards the end, you see them at the wedding and they're having a good time. What I really, one of the funniest sight gags to me is at the wedding where they show the full cathedral and the bride's side is packed (laughs) and the groom's side has like maybe five rows. (laughs) that the the nice thing about his parents too is like nobody in the movie is like evil he doesn't have like evil like turn their nose up at anything like parents you know Mm -hmm. they're just reserved and quiet and very you know maybe polite and their family isn't as loud as the porticollis family Mm -hmm. um but they and and they have like you know there's there's a bit of a learning curve and fitting in and getting used to it but they're not like okay we're never doing that again there's no way you can marry into this family there's none of that no well the uzo helps the yeah <laughs> for sure <laughs> uzo helps uh <laughs> And another line from that scene that my family says all the time is it's a bunt a bunk a bunk a bunk a cake it's oh it's a cake there's a hole in <laughs> yeah. this cake <laughs> i um i'm reading through like quotes right now because i know if i try to just like think of them all by myself i will 1000% forget everything um i just read that one and then the one after that i read is nick saying to ian if you hurt her i'll kill you and i'll make it look like an accident that's one i say all the time i'll kill you and i'll make (laughs) it look like an accident 
Um, yeah, but, but there, like, let's go back to Nick too, because there's another okay. moment. There, there is that beautiful moment where Ian says, I don't remember front girl, but I remember you. I love that. Yeah. Second to that is Nick when Ian is being baptized into the Greek Orthodox church, which is honestly not that big a sacrifice for Ian. It doesn't seem like he has very much of a faith base that he's got to move away from. Yeah. You know, um, he gets oiled up by their one cousin, which is really funny how she just like rubs the oil all over him because takes advantage of a good situation. Yeah, he's and John Corbett was definitely a hottie in 2002. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I do like there, Tula sits, you know, stands in the wings or stands in the pew watching Mm -hmm. this happen. And she, you know, her brothers are making a wisecrack. She's very earnest when she was like any minute now he's going to turn and look at me and say yeah you're not worth it and her brother comes back like all pretense nick has very few or like non-sarcastic or non-funny lines in the movie but completely straight face says yes you are and i love that yeah i love that brotherly support like he's been giving ian shit this entire time but he also recognizes he's like this this makes my sister happy Maybe that's the reason he doesn't. Maybe that's the reason he doesn't have, you know, doesn't go harder on Ian. And I feel like Nick sort of is having his own little side journey of breaking right, with, yeah. tra- with tradition because, you know, he has that conversation with Tula about how she inspired him to like want to try to take some art classes. And he's like, it seems like he's a bit of a soft boy, even though you know, he's in sort of this like big manly man, loud family. Which is um, perpetuated by their dad, right? Because like there's the scene very early on, I think it's the first one of the first scenes when they're all at the restaurant and he brings his sketches over to his dad. And he's like, hey, I thought we could use these for the menu. And his dad just mm-hmm. sort of like swipes them away without much of a comment or a thought. Yeah. I think it's really interesting too how like, um, and I just thought of this um with like nick and tula like so tula is like about 30 years old she's unmarried and she's already she's always getting sort of like grief from her parents of like and her family of like you're getting old you need to get married and you need to make babies but nobody's bothering nick in the same way to like Mm -hmm go get a wife and like settle down and you know no because it's fine he'll be one of those older greek guys that they bring over for dinner like they do to tula when she yeah is dating ian and they're trying to get her to meet a nice greek man yeah i guess that's really the only time that they are sort of trying to prevent the relationship and that's mostly her dad but they they, they're really scraping the bottle of the barrel and then there's also like you see nick across the table kind of being like Mm -hmm. there's there's no there's there's no saving this one Mm -hmm. yeah yeah nick has is truly like one of her best allies in in the whole movie because her sister athena is too busy being married with 18 different children yeah and she's you know um she's 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 the trad wife essentially yeah like um you know she likes it she's proud to like be a wife and a mom and i i want to say she works too because they sort of like i think there's like three jobs that everyone can have either they work at the diner they work at a traveling agency or something else like everybody in the family all works at the same three places Mm -hmm. um or maybe she does like I I forget exactly like she does books for the businesses or something I I don't remember. Yeah, but. everyone has a job like the family, and this was you know another funny cultural thing that my friend Katie did confirm. She was like, yeah, Greek families own a lot of businesses, so they have the restaurant, mm-hmm. they have a travel agency, they have a dry mm-hmm. cleaner. I was friends with a girl like when I was in elementary school and her family was Greek and they had a restaurant and I remember hanging out at that restaurant sometimes and we would make pita pizza. Oh, very nice. And I still make pita pizza to this day. We used to just do tortillas like Applebee's. That was be like when Bridget and I would be like, I would be babysitting her when we were kids. Is that how they make pizza at Applebee's? Yeah. The kids pizza at Applebee's for a long time was some sauce and cheese on an open tortilla. 
<laughs> Jesus Christ. Right. I was going to say, I don't remember there being a, a pizza, but. I never want anyone to tell me that I'm an elitist. I grew up on tortilla pizza from Applebee's. Tortilla pizza. Jesus. And Bridget um, still makes them from what I know. Every time she'll still make one. It's There's like this weird sweetness that happens to the tortilla when you do it that way. Anyway, speaking of Greek restaurants, uh, we have a very fun story in my family. My parents' first date, um, my dad took my mom to have gyros. And my mom, who grew up in the North Shore side, had never had gyros before. She had enough, no frame of reference for it. My dad grew up in uptown Chicago. So he, this was one of his things. He liked getting these. So he took her for it and they sat down at the table. I think it was called Diane's. That was the place they went. Sat down Mm -hmm. at the table and before their food came out, he just started taking napkins out of the napkin holder. Like just taking them out and putting them on the table, putting them on the table. My mom's like, what what was going on? And they bring the two baskets of euros, which are totally sloppy. That's the reason my dad was taking all the napkins out. And my mom has no idea really how to eat it, but they got through it. (laughs) They've been married 43 years you know, it's fine. But what was really <laughs> sweet was that the place, I remember they took me there when I was a kid. I was really too young to remember much of it. I, it's a very dim memory, but I do remember actually going to this place. And then shortly after that, it closed. So a couple years ago, pre-COVID, my parents were watching like the channel, the the net, nightly news, and Steve Delinsky was doing his thing on a new Greek restaurant that had opened from the family that owned another beloved Euros place that had closed years before. And my parents are mm-hmm. watching this bit and they're talking to the family and they recognize the kids because they would go to this place so often after that, that like they got to know the family a little bit. And it was the guy who owns it, who owned it, his family had opened this place um, out, um, you know, out in Chicago. So we all went over there for lunch one day or something. My mm-hmm. parents, like they walked in, there was a picture of the old owner on the wall my parents like oh we're in the right place we had this amazing lunch great food and then the like the server comes over and my mom's like hey by the way we used to go to diane's all the time that's where we had our first date and so the server is like hold on one minute and she brings out the kids from the back and it's like you need to like tell them (laughs) and so Uh they were like they were so warm and welcoming they brought over uzo (laughs) Like they had us all do shots of Uzo together because they're like, oh my God, this is so cool. And so, yeah, it was just, I, 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 again, I messaged my, my roommate Katie from college. I was like, Hey, have you heard of this place? She's like, oh yeah, we have family like gatherings there all the time. (laughs) So yeah. So it was, you know, it's the family. It's that feeling of family. And I think that's, I don't want to say that, you know, we're doing things wrong by every kid for themselves can figure out what they want to do in their life. But there is that power of families sticking together and generations working together. Yeah, for sure. I have an incredibly small family. I was not close with any of my cousins because they were all pretty much older than me. I have no siblings. So, I mean, really, I'm just shit out of luck. Like, <laughs> I'm just all by myself. Well, that's why you've got found family. That's yeah, why found I, family is so important. Yeah, I definitely have a big found family. And you could say that the Portocalluses are Ian's found family, right? He's coming as an only child with two parents who yeah, he is know where Greece child. is on a map. <laughs> so one of the things that I always, uh, especially when I was in high school and watching this movie that always just horrified me was that Tula didn't seem to get to pick out her own wedding dress. No, she doesn't get to pick out the majority of things for her wedding. Yeah, most most of the things were decided by her family. Yep, the bridesmaids' dresses, the her wedding dress. I think she says she looks like a snow beast mm-hmm. once everything That's... is said and done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she looks very beautiful once she starts taking things off after the ceremony um, and sort of like taking off all the extra bows and shit that's on her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She like pops off a couple of the bows are on the sleeves and yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's also that really good moment um, when she's getting ready and her mom decides that it's a good time to give her uh, the sex talk as if, She's not a 30-year-old woman in 2002 who's yeah. definitely already, you know, been there, done that. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, but what does she say? She says something like, 
she essentially says like a lady in the streets and a freak in the sheets. But yeah, like... I believe the line is Greek women. We may be lambs in the kitchen, but we are tigers in the bedroom. Yeah. And she says, ew, please let that be the end of your story. <laughs> Which I've said to my mom a few times when she's been sharing like different certain things with me that I do not want to hear at all. <laughs> um. And I try to remind her that she has a sister that she can talk to and I'm her child. And she, she tells me that she's like, no, I can't talk to her about this. And I'm like, why can you talk to me? Mm -hmm. I don't understand. Anyways. No, I love this movie so much. I love that Joey Fatone is in it. This was like, yeah, you've met him. I've met him. I was floating around in space with him. Yeah. (laughs) Which is like a hell of a way to meet a celebrity. Do you know how many times I sang Space Cowboy in my head on that zero-G flight? (laughs) Oh, man. You know, he probably did, too. Oh, probably. probably. He was having flashbacks to, like, the Bye 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 video. But, yeah, no. um, (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I remember because it was 2002, and NSYNC was still a very major part of my life. And so going to see this movie, not only was it a rom-com that, while it was, like, rated PG, was still a little bit more adult than anything else I had gone to a movie theater to see at that point having joey fatone then in it was very exciting yeah i was gonna say nsync was still in their heyday in 2002 i think it was maybe like around the time that the celebrity album was coming out so they were sort of winding down but they were starting yeah justin was starting to move towards uh solo career and you know yeah Although, who knows? Yeah. You know, we mentioned this the last time we talked, I think. Uh, NSYNC does have a reunion coming up. Is it official now? I feel like I maybe did see something that it was official. So there's a or- lot of cryptic uh, stuff coming out there right now that they did a song for the Trolls, the new Trolls movie that's coming out. Which, uh-huh. if you think about Trolls, it really kick-started Justin's career back into gear. So... <sighs> I hate it's, that song though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind it. It's I remember liking it when it came out. It's just old now. But it's same thing with Happy. I loved Happy when it first came out, but then it got overplayed. Mm-hmm. There is belief that they have a, a reunion track coming up. Interesting. I wonder, you know, if they got on tour, I wonder if I would want to go. You know, I, I guess no. I don't maybe I would. I don't go to see Backstreet Boys, but they were my first NSYNC was my first concert. Same, yeah. And I, I my t-shirt. I oof, I wish I did. Did I even buy a t-shirt from the concert? Who knows? I didn't have money back then. I was 14. No, I saw them twice and both times was definitely in the way up uh nosebleed sections. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, they were they were ants on a stage when I saw them. Uh, oh yeah. And and I was nine, so I was also short. <laughs> <laughs> I was allowed, the nice thing though, I was allowed to go like with my, both times with like my friend, we were by ourselves. Like my dad took us and just waited out in the parking lot until we were done. He brought, he also brought a friend with him. So he wasn't alone. And, you know, knowing what I know now, they probably like smoked weed and (laughs) (laughs) just hung out and got food. But yeah, I wonder if I would want to go see them now as an adult with like some money and I'd be able to get closer. I don't know. I guess it all depends on how much tickets would end up being. Yeah. Tickets are going to be really expensive. And that's the thing, right? We're seeing so many of these groups coming out with like, I'm going to tour again and performers that are coming back because their market of young teenagers at the time they were hot are now thirties. So they have money. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Although, you know, it's it's fucking getting impossible to see a concert that's less than seventy dollars. No, oh, tell me about it. I got I got tickets. I'm seeing Sarah and the Safe Word for twelve dollars at the Beats Kitchen, but that's because no one but me knows who Sarah and the Safe Word is. So yeah, I was like, unless unless you're the only person that knows who a band is, this is my plug for Sarah and the Safe Word. Uh, if you're ever looking for a band that sounds like Pank of the Disco, if Pank of the Disco hadn't gotten famous. If you're looking for a band that's got a seven-piece group that's like cabaret and bluegrass and emo music all at the same time, uh, with a heavy rock element and once in a while some countrified lyrics, and a, I believe, gender non-binary or trans, I'm not sure which, lead singer, Sarah and the Safe Word is a band for you. And Bee Kitchen is a great venue, very small, 
Very nice tiny. place to be. Tunstall there years ago. It's great. Oh damn! I saw a band. I've seen a couple bands there. One of the bands I saw was this band called Bit Brigade, and they are a metal band that uh, they sort of live score different video games. Um, I saw them do the live score to Mega Man Two. Oh, cool! And basically, like someone sits on stage and plays the game while they're playing the music to the game. Well, that's pretty dope. Yeah, it is very cool. Um, I think we're coming towards the end of our time. Um, I was about to say. (laughs) So we're coming towards the end of our time. Is there anything else you want? Did we not mention something? I, I, we didn't even talk about put Windex on it, but I'll tell you that that's also a saying in our family all the time. Yeah. I was going to ask, did you ever try it? On like your pimples or anything. I have not. And I'm kind of surprised that I haven't by this point. Like I don't get zits very often. Let me knock on some wood. Um, mm-hmm. But when I do, I, I'm shocked that I haven't at least tried it once. Yeah, I had some pretty bad acne when I was um, in high school, at the beginning of high school. And I never tried it though. I was never brave enough. Well, how about this? Next zit that either of us gets, let's try mm-hmm. it. What, we'll could try some what, what could the worst be, you know? Yeah. And hey, maybe you guys can let us know. Did you try Windex on your zits, on your rashes? What's the weirdest thing you've used Windex for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but keep it PG. Or not. We won't judge. <laughs> I'll judge a little. I'll judge a little. We might judge a little bit. Don't put Windex in areas where the sun don't shine, children. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not trying to give you the medical advice that Donald Trump gave everyone when he said we should just use Lysol and bleach. Yeah, don't microdose bleach. Um, I feel like there's a new one now where like people are drinking like a little bit of um borax. That's it. Wow. Well, I do have that under my sink, but that's for like stripping laundry. Yeah. Don't, don't drink it. I don't think I will. I don't think I will. So that's our, our, our PSA to uh, listeners. Don't drink borax or bleach, but do let us know if you've ever used Windex for a weird skin ailment. Um, we also, uh, you can let us know all, all about that at Instagram at SP Cinema Club or on Twitter. We may see it. We may not. We kind of don't engage too much over in that cesspool anymore. Um, but you can definitely reach us at SP Cinema Club on Instagram. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we'll have another episode coming up next week. We're not sure exactly what we'll discuss, but we look forward to uh, seeing you there. And as always, don't forget to invite your friends to the uh, slumber party. The more, the merrier. Yes, please, please tell it all your friends about us. Um, and until then, we love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>